Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the brand new Lashing Out podcast. I'm Jared Brugar. He's Kevin Quigley. Kevin, my man, let's introduce yourself because we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Before I introduce myself, Jared, I think Sean Clifford just threw another interception. Yeah, he definitely did turn the ball over in the moment that, that we uh, that we opened up the podcast here. Um, Kevin is referencing Saturday's game against Ohio State where Sean Clifford turned the ball over not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. Uh, three of them through the air, one uh, one fumble. That doesn't win football games, Kevin. It just doesn't. No, it doesn't. And uh, I'm not sure if you had the count on this. Uh, Gus Johnson had the Cincinnati kid count at four. And Sean Clifford matched it with the number of turnovers that he had. So if you're matching the Cincinnati kid count by Gus Johnson, he loves those catchphrases. If you're matching the number of catchphrases to turn turnovers, to the number of catchphrases, it's not going to be a good game for you. Yeah. And the thing is, people are going to come after Sean Clifford as they should. Penn State had every, you know, they dominated and not necessarily dominated, but they were beating Ohio State in nearly every offensive category. But you can't hang the defense out like they did. And we'll get to that here uh, later in the game or later in the podcast. But as an offense, you are up late in the game against Ohio State. And you fumble. You put your put the team like you put the defense on its heels. Right. Because they just came off the field. Then you come out and. You know, you just don't get the job done when it matters the most. And and they started out, both teams started out sort of flat. Um, Ohio State got out early, but Penn State was right there, and they were with them the entire time. Like Since James Franklin took over, Ohio State has lost a total of five, five conference games, right? So you know that it's going to be tough to beat them, but you've got to get the job done when it matters most. And that's what you would expect from a guy that's a fourth-year starter. It is. And, you know, he said before the game, he was talking to Gus and Joel and he said, this has to be the game of my life. And if that's the game of his life, man, I'm, I just don't know. Uh, they came out firing. Like you said, um, two quick first downs. They got a first down in their first drive of the game for the first time, seemingly all season. And then on third and nine tip ball interception gives Ohio state a short a short field. They got a ball back right about on the 40 yard line. And the defense just kept, kept, kept going. Um, I just have written down here. It was 10, nothing with two forty-eight left in the first. This is how good the defense was. We talked about it in our unreleased uh, unofficial first podcast. Ohio state was averaging seven yards of carry this season with almost a full quarter of play. You know how many yards per carry Ohio state was rushing? 1.8, 1.8, a team that gave up 419 yards on the ground to Michigan was holding Ohio State, who was holding seven, who was rushing seven yards per carry to 1.8 yards per carry. You cannot ask for a better performance from the defense than that. And the offense, you know, that they had those two, two drives, two turnovers, but then they got it going again. And they even led at the half. They were out, they were out gaining Ohio State. 300 to 263 at the end of the third quarter. So it wasn't even just a halftime. Like we talked about it. We thought it'd be a 10 point game. I don't think I thought it was going to be this crushing of a game because it should have been closer than 10 points. Right. And we said all along, you know, they're not going to win this game. They're going to lose by 10. 
I didn't they should have won be. that game. They should have. They should have won that game. So they, let's go back to the third quarter, right? So Ohio State comes down, gets a field goal. When you hold Ohio State to field goals, that is a beautiful thing, right? So it's 16-14, you know, late in the third quarter. Penn State then starts the fourth quarter, goes up 21-16, all right, which is great. You know, um, Katron Allen, big-time touchdown. So then, you know, Ohio State comes back and three plays – you know, gets another score. So it's now 23-21, right? And Penn State gets the ball back. Penn, then they fumble, right? So now, now you have to change the field. So this game is still in your grasp. It's 23-21. You still have a chance. Then next play, touchdown. To me, that's not on the defense because the de- the defense did a great job as far as like dealing with the short field – Anyway, and I thought, you know, Manny Diaz dialed up some different things. They did a great job. I thought they probably played a little too far off the line of scrimmage uh, late in the game and it cost them. But with how tired they were, they just could not match up man to man late in that game. So it's 20, it's 30 to 21 now, right? So you go down and you kick a field goal. Great. Now, what you can't do if you're Penn State is let up a touchdown or let up anything more than a field goal. Because when that happens, now, instead of, you know, 30-21, now it's or it, it's 30-24, now it's even worse. So now it, it's another touchdown. Now it's 30, or it's, um, I'm sorry, 37-24. And then the pick six happens. And that is the backbreaker. But the fumble is what got it all twisted and got it all started. But the pick six, uh, you know, ultimately was the nail in the coffin. Uh, they got that late garbage time, t- garbage time touchdown. And that's the stuff that has killed Clifford because that should not happen for a fourth-year guy. And it's fitting that this is the epitome of Sean Clifford's career. He breaks Trace McSorley's program passing touchdown record in garbage time. And to go back to that to that fourth-quarter collapse – to go from 21 to 16 to then 30 to 21, Ohio State did that in 69 nice seconds. You go up, your defense has been bailing you out all day, and I'm not going to pin this on them, but they go three plays, 75 yards, 21 yards, 13 yards, and then 41 yards to the house. We said they couldn't give up the big play. That was the first play the defense gave up. And if you're 50 minutes into the game, you have to think of you. The first play you've given up to all of those playmakers on Ohio State side is with 10 minutes left to go. You think you have a good chance to win. But I think that minute and nine seconds right there, honestly, when it was 30 to 21, I felt hopeless. Yeah, they pulled back to within six, but it's just you felt like you couldn't make that one big mistake. And they had made three mistakes up to that point. Yeah, but, they were. it was ultimately going to catch up to them. Let's be yeah. real. Um, and. And it did. And I mean, you look at Clifford's stat line, and it, and it is very Sean Clifford, right? Because you got 32 of 47, 371, three touchdowns, those three picks, man. And they even ran the ball, I thought, okay. You know, Katron Allen, Nick Singleton did a good job. You know, Kevon Lee's backed up or banged up. Um, but Katron Allen's 12 for 76, 6.3 yards of carry against that, against that defense. That's good. That's Those are things that you can gravitate to, those are things that you can use uh, moving forward. But, 
you know, even Singleton, 14 for 45. But again, it's just one of those things where you can't make those mistakes against a team like Ohio State. Penn State showed that they belong in the talk of a national power, and they just couldn't get the job done. And that, and it's not. I don't think this is on James Franklin because those guys came out ready to play. You can blame James Franklin for nine and a half million reasons uh, or whatever, but the fact of the matter is, this team came ready to play. They had a great game plan, I thought. But you can't get when you can't get out of your own way. It's just one of those situations. Yeah, I mean, we we also talked about it in the unreleased version. 32 personnel. We talked about that. Get all three big tight ends, but both of those playmakers in the backfield. We were running T formation. I ran that when I was 11 in Pee Wee football, and it was unstoppable. And it was unstoppable until it wasn't. And they just went to the well one too many times. But yeah, I think great play. They just went to the mistakes too many times. You know, they got they got bailed out twice, and then the third and fourth time, it just it just yeah. I mean, of those of those you know those turnovers. 21 points came off of four turnovers. So that's not going to win games because guess what? You lose by 13, Penn State wins by eight. So, yeah. you know, Penn State should have won that game, could have won that game, but ultimately they couldn't get out of their own way. In the words of the wise, Pat Narduzzi, we're undefeated because the only team that's beaten us is ourselves. Um, and yes, th- that's not word for word, but he did, in fact, say something like that. And that's how we're going to end this first segment of the Lashing Out podcast. So we'll catch you here on the flip side. Welcome back to the second segment of the Lashing Out podcast. He's Kevin. I'm Jared. Let's talk defense. Because the defense did a good enough job for 50 minutes to keep them in that game. And I I see this game as a coach, right? I've already said that I don't think this game was James Franklin's fault. Um, because, listen, they did everything that they wanted to do. They came out. They limited Stroud on the ground. They limited the ground game. They made them beat them through the air. Uh, and I thought that the secondary played fairly well. Um, and it was a noon game, which I which I love. They could come out and just get started and get, just get to playing. And it's just one of those deals. But the defense, we talk about complimentary football all the time. The offense hasn't really bailed the defense out very much. Had, they have here and there. They did against Minnesota, I thought. But against Ohio State, they just didn't. They started off with turnovers. Defense, you know, is backed up. And when that happens, it just creates a mess down the road. Those, those first quarter interceptions or first quarter uh, turnovers, end up costing them later in the game because defense is on the field more. They're on the field, uh, change of possession, quick plays. And, and that's the stuff that, that really hurts against a deep athletic team like Ohio state. Yeah, I agree. I thought I had it written down, but time of possession was, was pretty lopsided. I think I put it on the Twitter account. I think they were like nine minutes of possession in the first quarter for Ohio state. And then I think they ended up with, I don't know, close to, 18 17 or 18 or so so i mean they they were on the field for a majority of the first half and i think this just comes into the depth of the program uh if you're going to go against the big guys you got to bail out if you got to you got to keep the defense fresh um you know penn state's really solid through the first one and a half spots on the on that defense we're a little bit thin at linebacker you know the the high-end recruits just aren't there and 
Uh, I think that's something we can talk about a little bit later. But uh, and then I we were talked one point eight yards per carry, ten minutes or uh, twelve minutes gone in the first before Henderson's touchdown run that that really long what was it uh forty nine forty one yards, yeah it was a forty one yard run. They were averaging one point nine yards per carry. That's fifty minutes into the game and you're holding them under two yards. Mm-hmm. C.J. Stroud really wasn't doing a lot either. So, I mean, Kalen King, uh, Zaki, Wheatley, I, you know, those guys had career games. Um, yeah. It's, it's disappointing. It's disappointing to say the least. Yeah, and that's the only really way you can explain it because it, it's – it's so frustrating, right? Because Penn state was right there. Penn state had every opportunity to make something happen in that game. And they just didn't. And that's the, that's the issue that they've had under James Franklin. And again, I'm not blaming James Franklin for this because they did the coaching staff. I thought put them in position to win this game and the players just didn't back them up. And at this, at, at, at some point that they have to have accountability because if you put, if you put your four year starter out there, and he goes out there and throws up 378 and three touchdowns. That's great, right? That's a that is a win nine times out of ten. The issue is the turnovers because I know damn well James Franklin at practice does not go out there and say, "Hey, Sean, throw it to the other team." So let's see, you know, let's see what we can do. Quick, quick change of pace here, and that's the stuff that they have to limit if they want to go from good to great to elite. First of all, you got to make a change of quarterback, and and that's something that I've gone back and forth about. But is this a team that can go 10 and two with Drew Aller? Yeah. Is it a team that can go 10 and 12, 10 and two with Sean Clifford? Absolutely. So the future is in the here and the now and the present. And, and James Franklin is a, an extremely loyal guy. It's probably to a fault, but you don't see guys at Alabama or Notre Dame or Clemson or whatever being four year starters. Um, number one, they're usually good enough to go to the NFL, but number two, the next guy is usually better than them. And I think we finally got to that point at Penn state. And if I'm Gene Franklin, I have a really hard decision to make, um, you know, during team meetings. Yeah. I mean, look, Alabama had that with Jalen hurts and Tua, right? Jalen gets hurt in the national championship. Tua comes in, shows out. Jalen hurts is transferred to Oklahoma. You know, that's your starter transferring. That's not your backups who we can go on and on about that. But, Mm -hmm. and I just want to, you know, that was a greatly coached game. When is the last time Penn State's offense forced a defensive timeout? The first time they had that T formation and then they shoved mm-hmm. everybody out. Ohio State had no idea what to do. They had one linebacker in the middle of the field. And I forget who was in the backfield, but you just like saw that play. I think they got the snap off and Sean, I think it was ended up being a Sean Clifford run. I think it didn't get the play didn't get to happen, but it was just like, man, if if they that Ohio State team wasn't paying attention and that timeout doesn't get called, that's a massive play. But the offensive forced that timeout, and they played big in the second and the end of the first half because they didn't have that extra timeout. We won't talk about the missed holding call that led to them getting down towards the goal line. But if they had had that timeout, you know they're trailing at half. They're not leading at half. So, yeah, I can't. I I will put no blame on James Franklin, Yurcich, Manny Diaz. You know maybe they could have not given up that. 12 yard slant route to Marvin Harrison Jr., which kind of was the back break, ended up being like the game ceiling first down kind of thing. But I, I can't fault the coaches. I think it's solely it's solely on the players. They just made too many mistakes. 
Yeah. And that's the thing. You can't, you have to be able to get out of your own way. Um, and that's, that's been their MO. They've always, you know, they've played Ohio state incredibly close. And I've said that in writing, I've said on other podcasts, we knew this was going to be a close game, regardless of what you think about Penn state, James Franklin, John Clifford. We knew this is going to be a tough game. And the ultimate thing was it, it was until, you know, they just, they just had that spurt and that's what Ohio state did against Iowa too. So you know, Ohio State's a great program. Ryan Day does a great job. At, at the end of the day, if you want to be the beat the elite, yeah, got to be elite in your decision making, and you got to make plays when it matters. And ultimately, Penn State didn't do that, and that that cost them the game. That cost them their playoff hopes. Now, don't get me wrong; this is still a very good Penn State football team, and we'll talk about this a little bit more here in the third segment. But let's be real; they are what they have a potential to go 10 and 2 11 and 2 this year with the bowl game everything is at state they 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 should be playing for new year's six bowl like they are right where they want to be it's just now they don't control their destiny as far as the big 10 goes yeah and i think and i think the stinker to michigan is what really makes us devalue this season but and i see i saw on twitter all day all day the last couple of days you know we're recording this on sunday night so we've had a chance to process this I've seen like takes that Ohio State was toying with Penn State. No, Ohio Penn State showed up at noon, got off the bus and outplayed them. You know what I mean? This was this is a good team. It's a top 10 team if it wasn't for that stinker at Michigan. So, yeah, I I totally agree and 10 and 2 on a season that we started this year thinking 8 and 4 was the ceiling. You know, that's best case scenario. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And that's the thing. And, and you know, let's take a, a quick break here before we talk about uh, the rest of the season because the rest of the season matters. So we'll get to that here in the third and final segment of the Lashing Out podcast after this break. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Lashing Out podcast. He's Kevin. I'm Jared. Penn State is 6-2. and two. By no means is that bad. The two losses that they've had are to top five football teams. So I get the angst and the anger that those things have happened. But let's be real here. This team still is fairly decent. It is. And I think we've just... We're six and two, but we're at a very big turning point in this season. And I don't want to call the Sean Clifford era. I overreacted and said, Sean Clifford should never play another down for this team. Blah, 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 blah. It was heat of the moment. But I think it's time that we start drawing the Sean Clifford experience to a close. Uh, Four-year starter. It's been the same old song and dance. What is he, Owen six now or whatever against top 10 teams or ranked opponents. Um, so many numbers in my head. I can't even think straight, but I don't know if you bench him, but we got to get Drew Aller some reps, right? Not really a game on their schedule. It looks like they're going to trip up, you know, 10 and two is definitely a possibility, but maybe let Sean Clifford play the first half and Aller come out and start the second halves. You know what I mean? How our defense is going to prepare for two quarterbacks like that, especially it's going to be two fundamentally different offenses and, Arguably, when Adler's in, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to defend the pass more than Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford has that running element, but he hasn't been running lately because he's kind of banged up. 
Yeah, and that's the thing too, right? Like Penn State ceiling is the same with Sean Clifford and Drew Aller. Penn State's floor, we don't know what it is with Drew Aller. So I don't envy James Franklin because I think if you're if you're a coach and you you make the millions of dollars that he does. You have to look at yourself in the mirror. What is the best option for my team to win games? They both present about the same thing as far as the wins go. This defense, man, you can you can do a lot of great things with this defense. Um, Penn State's defense proved that they are for real. Now, offensively, you got two good running backs. You got Parker Washington's coming out party with Saturday. Uh, if if anybody did not watch that, um, so expect to see him on Sunday sometime in the future. But if I'm James Franklin and I'm meeting with my offensive coaches, you got to look yourselves in the mirror and say, hey, what, what's the value of Drew Aller playing? What's the value of Sean Clifford playing? Do you want to play for, this, for the national title next year? Maybe you play Drew Aller. Uh, because guess what? Most of that offense is going to come back, and this offense is pretty good. Um, same thing defensively for the most part. But do you want to ride Sean Clifford into the sunset? Um, which there's part of me that, I mean, he deserves to probably finish out the season, but Penn state also deserves to do what's best for the program moving forward. Is that playing a sixth year guy, a four-year starter, or is that playing the freshman, the Uber kid? Now I, I think, you know, the beauty of Drew Aller is that he's played before. Like, so this isn't a situation like Iowa last year where take one Roberson goes in and it's just like, Oh shit. Like, like we're screwed. Um, so Aller has that. And he, listen, he's got great poise. He's got great experience, um, which is something Penn State hasn't had uh, as far as the quarterback position, but in, as far as backups go, at least. So you got to got to mess with that. And, you know, and, and Aller, I think, is the top is finally getting to that elite level of prospect that you have to get to to compete with the Ohio States and beat not just compete with Ohio State, because that's great. Right. But that doesn't win you national championships. That wins you maybe a couple more recruits, but you have to not only compete, you got to beat. And that's something Penn state hasn't been able to do. Sean Clifford's 0 for four against Ohio state. And that's not getting the job done. And in all those games, I feel like they had a lead and let it slip away. And there's one thing or another that, that prevented them from, from winning. But, you know, Aller is that upper echelon, that top, that five-star quarterback that Penn state drastically is needed. But now they got to get more on campus and they got to get not only more, on campus, but more to come and play. And, and I've said this all the time. I say this all the time. You not only do you have to get them to campus and you got to get them enrolled and you got to get them in the program, but you got to coach them up once they get there. That's the biggest thing. Development, 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 because once you step foot at a university park, your stars don't matter. The hype is there, but the, the stars don't matter. Yeah. I think, you know, Sean Clifford's the, the guaranteed 10 and two. Drew Aller is the probably 10 and two. It could be nine and three, but even nine and three, they're still third in the big 10 East. So it's kind of in the bowl game is going to be similar. They're going to be fighting with Illinois for that second, third, fourth spot, not second, obviously Illinois might get second if they, you know, get to the championship game and end up losing it probably to Ohio state, but you know, you're going to be fighting them with third or fourth in the big 10. The bowl difference really isn't going to be that big, but you made a great point. Drew Aller is that upper echelon player. Penn State hasn't had many of those. Uh, I just looked at quarterbacks of, you know, all-time recruits for Ohio State and Penn State. 
CJ Stroud is their eighth best quarterback prospect of all time. The four of the people above them, above CJ Stroud, he was the he was the quarterback of the 2020 class. They pulled the number four and number two. One of, number two was Quinn Ewers, so doesn't really count. He went there for NIL because Texas didn't have it. But they pulled two quarterback recruits the year after CJ Stroud, better than rated than CJ Stroud coming out of high school, pulled the number seven overall in the class of 22, and they have the number one overall rated in 2024. Clifford is number 10 all-time in Penn State recruits. And the people, Taquan Roberson was number 11, fun fact. And the people above Clifford are early 2000s besides Anthony Morelli, I think, is the highest rated. Hackenberg, you know, adversity there is number two. But Aller's number three. You got to get that guy playing. And I think that tells recruits, like, recruits recruits are watching these games. Mm-hmm. They think they probably have a hunch that Aller's better than Clifford. Do they want to come to a program? Where a six-year senior who has no NFL prospects, probably none, you know, he might get, he's probably a day three NFL draft pick. Do they want to come sit behind a guy like that and waste the first year or two of eligibility when they're, if we're getting those high-end guys, they want to be in the NFL in three years and they're going to waste a year of college play sitting behind a guy who probably doesn't deserve, who's definitely not better than them just because he has more college experience. Right, and that's the thing. So Penn State, Penn State's recruitment of the quarterback position is very, very peculiar over the years. I mean, obviously, the best quarterback that they've had of late was Trace McSorley. He was recruited everywhere but Penn State as a quarterback or as a safety, uh, and then he comes in and becomes the all-time leader um, <laughs> of you know every passing record at Penn State. Right now, he's been in the NFL for a couple of years, and obviously, he's a backup. But and there's nothing wrong with being a backup quarterback in the NFL. Honestly, that's a great job because you're not getting hit in practice, you're not getting hit in the game. Maybe sometimes you don't even have to wear your shoulder pads, but that's great because you know you're still you're in the league, you're getting that paycheck, you're you're established in an NFL career, NFL pension, you're taking care of your family for the rest of your life, which is awesome. And I do hope Trace someday gets a a shot to be the starting quarterback because I think he could be really good. Uh, The dude just wins. Right. And, you know, if Trace McSorley was playing in the fourth quarter against Penn St- or against Ohio State, I would expect Penn State to win that game. Uh, okay. And with Sean Clifford, you just don't know. Um, But, yeah, I mean, you come in and you create that competition, right, which they, they had with Sean Clifford and Will Levis. And Will Levis laid an egg this week, uh, this weekend, too. But he's gone on to Kentucky and had a very good college career and should be. And he's one of the top ranked quarterbacks heading into the NFL draft, uh, which is something that after watching him running 17 times against Rutgers, not I, I have I would have never expected that. They did the same thing with Tommy Stevens and, and Trace McSorley. Um, so why not run Drew? And, and yeah, you have to learn from both of those because Steve, Tommy Stevens and um and Will Levis ended up not being with the program after those years, which, hey, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but, you know, to me, you have to see what Aller's got because guess what? Number one, it shows, hey, you want to win now, right? It, you you got to win now. And it shows recruits, hey, listen, if you come in and you're better and you earn it, you're going to play. And they've done that literally at every position other than the quarterback, Up, offensive line, tight end running back, wide receiver, cornerback, safety, linebacker, D-line. They've done it everywhere. Do it at the quarterback position. I understand stability. I understand comfort. But you just don't know what you got if he's still sitting on the sidelines. You know what you're going to get from Sean Clifford every day. 
and he has earned every aspect, uh, every ounce of reward and attention that he's got for the in, in his accolades. But you gotta figure it out everywhere else because if you don't, it's it's not worth it. It's not. And point I point I alluded to earlier, I, just a quick look at the past three recruiting classes: Ohio State versus Penn State, the ESPN three hundred. We talked about depth. 2020, 16 to 9 in favor of Ohio State. I mean, you can't go off of these rankings, but usually indicative of good talent. 2020 and 16 to 9, that's the junior class. That's the class that had JT Tui Moalu. Uh, who single handedly beat State. <laughs> who single handedly beat a roster of 100 players. Um, you know, that's uh, he was number four or five rate, rate recruit, recruit in that class. 2021, abysmal, 17 to four. That was coming off the COVID year. You know, they probably shouldn't have been five and five that year or four and five. Um, And then, but last year they closed that gap 15 to 12. And what do we think about that freshman class? Katron Allen, Nick Singleton, Abdul Carter, three really high end players right now for this team that are only freshmen. Imagine if you string together two, three, four of those classes Four doesn't really matter because if you're pulling in that high class, as you, like you said, they're probably in the NFL. But in the last three years, it's 48 to 25 in ESPN 300 recruits. But if you start narrowing that gap where it's 15 to 12 over three years, you're probably beating those teams. You know, if they do, if they if they back this last year's recruiting class up with this year's recruiting class. Uh, let's see. I had it written down. Um, they have about nine eight or nine committed right now. So if they get another three or four, we have a similar high caliber recruiting class like that. They might be one and one against Michigan, Ohio state next year. And then in two years, when drew Aller's a junior, Nick Singleton's a junior, Katron Allen's a junior, Abdul Carter's a junior. They got really two big offensive guards coming in next year as freshmen. They'll be sophomores at that time. That's, that's the national championship year. And that's what you need to get to. And if you don't play drew Aller and you don't get these guys in and, keep building on this momentum you're not getting that national championship chance in two years not calling it not calling it don't put money on it but you're not getting that chance if you don't back it up like that yeah right and that's the thing like you have to you have to start putting up results because what what do you want your ceiling to be do you want to be 10 and 2 every year 9 and 3 every year uh or do you want to be 11 and 1 12 and 0 uh penn state has the potential to be that I think they have the tools in place. Franklin can talk about the facilities, the nutrition, everything, but you got to put the results on the field and you got to put out guys that are going to execute. And you, you name Singleton Allen and Abdul Carter. Those all three are impact players whenever they're on the field. And you need more guys like that. And if they can come in and and perform at a high level as freshmen, that's great. Um, If they have to wait a year, red shirt, whatever, that's, that's fine too. But you gotta come out ready to go, ready on all cylinders, and and you gotta hit the round running in the recruiting trail on the field, because yeah, national championships are won and lost in the field, but they're built in recruiting and built in years prior. Um, just a quick look ahead: we have four games left in the season, and I think this is the schedule you put Aller in at least after halftime. If he doesn't get the start, I get it. Ceremoniously, you want Sean Clifford starting him doing it, but like you put him on a really short leash, and you know that doesn't work so well. You know, you make your quarterback walk on eggshells. Indiana's up next; they're on a five-game losing streak. Maryland's probably the only one that we're kind of worried about. 
Uh, who knows if Talia is going to be available for that game. I think he was a game time decision this week and didn't play. That's in two weeks, but he could be banged up, but it's at home. You'd think that you can beat that team. Then you're at Rutgers. They've lost four of five. Their only win is against Indiana, who we just mentioned, is on a five-game losing streak. And then you close out the season against the fighting Mel Tuckers. Emphasis on the fighting. but Yeah, right. At that tunnel, man, James Franklin was whiny, but it seems like you know the Mittens not a great place for tunnels. No. So, and the fighting Mel Tuckers, Michigan state have lost five of their last six. So 10 and two is definitely a possibility. And if you can get those freshmen, especially drew Aller, mm-hmm. four career starts rolling into next year, it has to be, it has to bode well for next year and the years prior and the years beyond yeah. that. So, yeah, right. You, you play Aller now because these games are, these games should be blowouts. I'm not saying that they will be because anything can happen, but they on paper, they should be blowouts. So you are still the 16, number 16 team in the, in the country. And, you know, looking, looking ahead, as far as that goes, you have two top five losses, which is great for resume building. Um, Ohio state's at Northwestern. Uh, Michigan is at Rutgers. Good for them. Good luck, Chuck. Um, but looking around the rest of the top 25 moving ahead, you know, this is, this is where the heat of the conference play starts to heat where it starts to get up. So I mean, TCU is playing Texas tech. Um, North Carolina is playing Virginia, North Carolina, seven to one. And they're number 17 tank uh, ranked team in the country, Georgia and Tennessee are facing off this week. And I think that's going to be an incredible football game. Um, you know, and obviously Tennessee, no matter who loses that game is not going to fall very far. Um, Illinois is ranked number 14. They got, um, Michigan state, uh, you know, there's there's a lot that can be done. LSU LSU plays Alabama, so there's going to be movement there. Kansas State plays Texas. Uh, Utah plays Arizona. These are all, and UCLA plays Arizona State, and Cal plays uh, USC. You know, so you've got some you've got a bunch of couple of weeks. You take care of business. You can move up, and you know they could ultimately finish the season near the top ten or as a ta- top ten team with only those two losses. So. Everything that they want as far as New Year's Six Bowl game um, is is there and, and there for the taking. And, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see where they're slated because it, it, it's going to be very, you know, intriguing because the way the SEC is looking this year, they could, there could be two teams. I think the AS, ACC is not good. I don't think Clemson is as good as what they what people think. Um, you know, Syracuse was supposed to be really good, and then Notre Dame just went out and boat raced them. Um and the Pac-12 is the Pac-12. So, I mean, you could potentially – it's not going to happen this way, but you're not going to get two SEC teams, two Big Ten teams. But you got to worry about Illinois. You, Illinois is up there too. Illinois is probably going to be the West, you know, the, the West representative in the Big Ten championship game. Now, I think that's going to ultimately be against Ohio State, uh, and deservedly so. I, I think Ohio State will mop the floor with – uh, Michigan. Now, again, who knows what's going to happen in the tunnels anywhere? Um, because obviously that seems to be an issue with Michigan. Uh, so there's that. Now that's the last week of the season, um, the Big Ten season. So you know anything can happen, and and then any anybody can win at any given moment. Illinois schedule is very nice the rest of the year. Um, but yeah, and that's the that's the price that you pay. It's the Big Ten. You know, you have a six and two Penn State team, six and two Maryland team that have to play OSU, Michigan, Michigan State on a good year, you know, and 
and that's what's tough. But you look at you look across the West, and Illinois is going to be the uh, if they lose really any of the next three games, then they shouldn't. You know, they're they're in great shape to be the Big Ten West representative, which is cool because it's somebody different, right? We're used to yeah Iowa, we're used to Wisconsin or or Northwestern even, but you know, is it going to be Michigan? Is it going to be Ohio State? And to me, I think it's going to be Ohio State. But then where does everything fall after that? Because now you have four top 15. By then, you'll have four top 15 teams uh, in the Big Ten. Um, who goes where? Who goes to what bowl game and and when? So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how this all uh, plays out. But it's going to be a lot of fun watching it play out. I agree. So I think that's right. a great, great recap. Yeah, I think we did all right for our first podcast together, Kevin. Sorry. I I didn't know how to end that one. That was pretty shitty. Listen, it's all right, man. It's the first time. We're good. But for Kevin Quigley, I'm Jeff Perger. This has been the Lashing Out Podcast. We'll catch you again later this week as we preview some more Penn State football. <laughs>